Um, we do make choices. Again, some of those choices are huge. Some are not so big. But Jesus gives us now a very critical choice that we make in our lives. Uh, Hagner notes in his commentary, we are at a major turning point in the sermon. No more ethical teaching is given. What follows are warnings and a concluding parable, all involving, as in the present passage, the use of strong contrast. So all the ethical issues are done. We now move into a section that deals with contrast. Let me read just a few. Um, in 721, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. In 24, we read 724, everyone who hears these words of mine and does them will be like a wise man. Comparison, and everyone who hears, verse 26, and everyone who hears these words of mine and does not do them will be like a foolish man. So Jesus is now bringing the Sermon on the Mount to its critical point. And let me just say this. If you're here today or watching my Facebook and you do not know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, today would be that day. The great Martin Luther, Reformed theologian, said there's two days that matter, today and that day. And I think that's true. So... As you listen to this sermon this morning, I, I pray that God will speak to your heart. So let's look at what Jesus says. First of all, the wide gate leads to death. You can't ignore it. You can't sidestep it. The wide road, the wide gate leads to death. No, uh, he writes, or Jesus says here, enter by the narrow gate. A skerkomai, a skerkomai. The word enter means to move into a position or to move into a location so it's some type of action that we have to take in order to fulfill the command that Jesus just gave this word narrow stenos is a very interesting word it means restricted so what Jesus is saying here is I want you to move into a restricted area now he gives us if you look at the image here, it's just narrow. You know, back in the day, when I was in the Army, I was a 31 Charlie, which was a radio teletype operator. This is a GRC 46. I spent hours in this thing. Kind of funny, I was in communication and God calls me to communicate his word. But right here, you have the modem. Oh boy. I, I, I saw this picture and it just brought up all, all these memories of being out in the field for 45, 50 days at a shot, sitting in the back of one of these. When I became a sergeant, then I was going around from uh, rat rig to rat rig, fixing issues that were going on. This is a teletype. By the way, I was doing the internet before the internet. Most of the internet, most of the technology that we have comes from the military eventually down the road. This was a teletype, this was the modem. Right here, there's a KWK7, which is removed for probably security reasons. And then this is your receiver, and this is your transmitter. So what would happen is, and by, by the way, when I was in Hawaii with the 125th Military Intelligence, I had a top secret clearance. 
So the areas that I went into, for example, Ulchi Focus Lens, was in a massive tunnel in Tegu. You could not get access. You could not get access unless you had a badge. In fact, we stayed at, uh, we stayed at a Soul Garden Hotel. They bust us in with the windows shut as we went in. We weren't allowed to say anything. But what would happen is I would take a message and I would type it out and I would send it through the modem, which would in turn go through the KWK7, which was encrypted every night at midnight. You had to go in there and you had to rework the wires so that you could encrypt and decrypt messages. Then it would go through the transmitter out the vehicle and to the other person. Now when you received a message, it would come back through the receiver, it would come down to the KW7, and it would come to this teletype uh, perforated message, and then you could take it and run it through the machine to get the message. And there were times when I would have to intercept, say, this was back during the Cold War, Russian uh, submarines that I knew were out there. I would try to jam them. I would take all the measures that I could to jam their communication, particularly when I knew it was Russian. One night in Hawaii, I was sitting right off the, right, right looking right at the ocean, and I could hear subs off the coast of Hawaii, and I became curious, so I just started jamming them. And you knew that you were effective when the communication went silent, because they were trying to figure out how to get back. But the point here is that you could not get into what I was in unless you had a pass. It had to, you, you could, the average person could not get in. Jesus says that this narrow way is restricted. And the code is the cross. You have to come by way of the cross to get into that narrow gate. But it is on our part, we put ourselves in a position where we can go through the restricted area. Now, some thoughts here about this. The narrow gate, first of all, this is free will choice. God does not force anybody to salvation. God does not force anyone to salvation. And many times, for those of you watching, many times, uh, and if you just happen across our channel today and you're watching for the first time, God may have spoke to you by other Christians about salvation. You need to make it today. I want to encourage you to do that. And you're going to accept Christ, repent of your sins, and ask him to be the Lord of your life. But it is a free will choice. No, he's not going to twist your arm. He's not going to uh, force you to make a decision against your will. Secondly, it is open to everyone. For God is not willing that any should perish, but that all come to saving faith, the apostle Peter would write. It's free. It's open to you. It's open to everyone. But it requires an action on your part. Jesus says, enter by the narrow gate. That is, I want you to come into a position when you trust in me so that you can enter the gate. And by the way, the word gate here is, is put up there for uh, keeping people out once they have entered. So we enter by that narrow gate. You know... I don't know why people, I, mean, I kind of do know why. I often wonder why people won't receive Christ. And 
I think Jesus gives us the answer in this next little verse, 13b. And he gives some reasons here. For is really for the word because the gate is wide. And listen to this. For the gate is wide and the way is easy. It's easy. Platos is the word for wide, means broad. So you look at what we have going on here. One gate is very narrow, and Jesus uses that word for restricted, but the other gate is wide. It's broad. Come as you are. We love it. You can come here. Nobody's going to judge you. Nobody's going to... All kinds of stuff. The way is hodos, which is a path or a road. You think of a, a massive road, spiritually, if you will. And it's also easy. Eukokoros. Eukokoros. That's the Greek word. And that means pleasant. It's fun. There's no rules. The only rule is there are no rules. No moral requirements. No ethical requirements. You just do what you want to do. You live your life the way you want to live it. It's awesome. Wow. That's the road that people are on. John Stott in his commentary accurately wrote this. There is plenty of room for diversity of opinions and laxity of morals unless you're a Christian and you assert your opinions. You ever notice that? Liberals are liberals until somebody that loves Jesus starts talking. And then they want to restrict you. Isn't that interesting? Uh, People who don't know Jesus, on this wide, they don't want to hear about the narrow way. They just don't want to. It is a road of tolerance and permissiveness. It has no curbs, no boundaries, either thought or conduct. Travelers on this road follow their own inclinations, that is, the desires of the human heart in its fallenness. And the heart is deceitful above all things. This is the easy road. This is the easy way. This is Um, there's no rules. How do I live my life? Well, you live it the way you see. Vanity, vanity. All is vanity. All is meaningless. So you just live your life. Hey, that's great, isn't it? That's great. Just do what you want to do. And that's our culture in which we live. And it hadn't changed in over 2,000 years since Jesus spoke this easy life but this road has a consequence Jesus says enter by the narrow gate for the gate is wide and easy that leads to destruction agapago this is interesting this word leads it means to lead away Think about that wide road for a moment. It's all, and I think there may be some satanic issues here with this word. Uh, it means to lead away. Lead away from what? Lead away from the narrow 
road. So the further people get along in their, in their lives, the further and further the road gets murred and uh, hard to see. The word destruction means ruin. Literally destruction. These two words together really suggest trickery. I'm going to say this. Not all roads lead to heaven. Jesus said, I am the way and the truth and the life. To get to the Father, you have to come through me. That's serious business. Jesus is excluding all other ways. When he says narrow and wide, he's saying there's two distinct paths. You're on one of them. You're on one of them. And I hope you're on the narrow path. Jesus will describe that in just a minute. Uh, 1 Corinthians 12, 2 says this, You know that when you were pagans, you were led astray. This is exactly what's conveyed in this word, led. Led astray. Led away. Yeah. I've maybe talked about this a few times. This, this word, destruction. I saw some statistics this week. It was on one of the websites that I was checking out, and it said roughly 80% of sermons in America don't mention sin, hell, or heaven. I don't know how true that is. It would be interesting to listen to other sermons and see when those things come up. Let me just say this. When Jesus uses the word destruction here, he is talking about eternal damnation. And there's a lot of people on that road. When we were when we had the great opportunity, Audrey and I and, uh, and the girls, we had, uh, it was back in the later 80s, we were friends with some Salvation Army officers and they invited us to England. That's a very interesting, <laughs> when, we, when I got off the boat and had my car, you're trying to drive in the opposite direction. It, it was very difficult. I got off the boat and realized I'm headed right towards a car, and I realized I needed to get over. Honk, 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 dumb American, get off the road. But we, we stayed with them, and we stayed at the Salvation Army Center. It was, it was a big center. And we had gone to Portsmouth or one of the other places, and we came back. I'll never forget it. There's several things I'll never forget, it, but this is one of them. Richard, who was his name, Richard, and I got out of the van, and we started walking, and there was a man at the front door with a whiskey bottle turned over and poured out, and the man was flat on his face. That does not come from God. That is somebody that is on the road to destruction. Broke my heart. We, we picked the man up. We got him into the house. He stunk. It was horrible. And Richard looks at me and he goes, welcome to my ministry. 
that road that seems so wonderful has a horrific and tragic end. It may be fun now, and you may think this is all great, but one day when you leave this life, you better make sure you know where you're going. Jesus said, many are on this road. And this is where the road leads. The way of God leads to heaven, and the way of Satan and the world leads to hell. I'm going to tell you this, hell is a literal place, and it is not a place of fun. It is a place of torment. And let me also say this, nobody that is listening to this sermon today should ever rejoice when somebody goes to hell. We should not wish this on our worst enemies. We should not wish this on anyone because in finality, it is not just a week or a month or a year, it's eternity. I wonder how many people are there today just in torment thinking, wow, I wish I would have really listened to that gospel message. It's real. And I guess why it's so appealing is because you think there's no fallout. It's like somebody driving a vehicle that's blind and they can't see it says road ends, danger ahead. So if you've got a lost friend or a lost neighbor or a lost family member, please start praying for their salvation earnestly. We should not want anyone to go there. Not even the vilest offender should we want to spend one second in hell. I can't remember which preacher said it, but it was years ago, and he said, I wish each Christian could spend one minute in hell. They would literally come out on fire for the gospel. Maybe we need to revisit this idea of hell, that this is real. Last month, I lost a former church member tragically killed in a car accident. She was life-flighted to Carl. I found out about it through Chain and through former church members. What a great lady. What a great lady. But I can tell you this. When the surgery failed, she busted the kingdom of heaven wide open. That's a difference. And see, you think, we, we, we get this idea, folks. We get this idea that we're going to live forever. We're young. There's nothing wrong. Do you know how many people are young that die? You have to be ready for this. So the wide gate leads to death, and that's eternal separation from God. There's no other way to put it. I can't sugarcoat it. I, I can't say something that is not true. The fact is, that when people die, whether they're on their deathbeds, and I've had people reject me when I've talked to them on their deathbeds, it doesn't matter because that doesn't erase the fact that God is God and sovereign and there is a judgment for this. So, very clear. 
this road is wide open. It seems like fun, but it's like the blind man driving the car that can't see the bridge is out. You've got some, don't you? You've got some lost people in your life. Please start praying for them. Please. And then share the gospel with them lovingly. Jesus says, the narrow gate leads to life. Zeo, which we'll talk about in just a minute. For the gate is narrow, it's restricted. We've already looked at that. Verse 14a, and here's the issue. You see it, don't you? The way is hard. The way is hard. This is why I, when I was in Germany and I was witnessing to this one soldier, he goes, I don't want to go to church. That's too much work. Okay. Pray for him. Hodos. The way. By the way, did you know the early Christian church was called the way? The way. The way is hard. Flebo. This is literal translation to cause someone to suffer trouble or hardship. Well, that doesn't sound like fun. That sounds difficult. It is. Everybody in the sound of my voice this morning in this room, I'm trusting that you've trusted in Christ. Ultimately, I don't know your salvation any more than you know mine. But I do know I'm saved. But you know in your own Christian walk how difficult the Christian life is. Because you are so welcomed by everybody when you share your opinion. One lady told me to crawl back into the Neanderthal hole that I came out of. I took it. I took it. The culture wants the easy life. No rules, no regulations, no nothing. Just live your life. They don't want pain either. Unfortunately, at some point in life, you're going to have pain. And somebody once said, Jesus is nothing but a crutch. And I said, you're absolutely right. He is a crutch. I need something to lean on at times in my life. Actually, all the times of my life. Christianity, though, requires a much more diligent work. A much more diligent life. In fact... When you go further on in the Gospel of Matthew, you read this. If anyone would come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. That's tough. That's not an easy path. That's not an easy road. It's very difficult. One of the most difficult things in the Christian life and I think it is is trying to stay here I read it I see it and I still struggle doing it sometimes guess what you're in good company Paul said the very thing I don't want to do I wind up doing even though I know it's not right that's paraphrase 
It's okay to struggle. It's okay. You're not going to live this life perfectly. And the road is narrow, and it is difficult. It's, I can equate it to a 50-pound 50 pound, uh, rucksack on your back, and you're trying to go up and down, up and down. There's this massive weight. And Audrey asked me a question this week. Well, how does that work with when Jesus says, my burden is light? Come to me, all who are weary. Well, it's the same principle. Even though you're on the road, Jesus will help you carry the load. And sometimes it's difficult. Second Timothy. In fact, this is for us. This is for those that are watching by Facebook those that have trusted in Christ, in fact, everyone who wants to live a godly life in Christ will be persecuted. While evil men and imposters will go from bad to worse, deceiving and being deceived. They are going off further and further down the broad road. I can't stress enough I, I just can't stress enough what we're doing here on Sunday mornings. This is for real. This isn't a social club. This isn't a place. It's fine to come and meet people, but that's not what we're here for. We're here to worship God and listen to his word. And then to take that, that wonderful encounter of worship and listening to the sermon however God wants to use it in your heart, and then going out there and living in a world that is all over the place. We're the steadying force in the world, folks. Some of the greatest Christians I've met were in churches that I've pastored. Some people just amazed me. Della Hall. Going through horrific stuff. I mean, serious, with her mother and, and other things going on. She comes to church and she's, well, Brother Mike, that's because I'm trusting in Christ. Yeah, some of the greatest Christians are not the, what we would call the big names. They're the little guys, us, that are living the Christian life. R.T. France writes this, Life is not found by following the crowd, but by a deliberate and costly decision. True discipleship is a minority religion. Diedrich Bonhoeffer once said, Cheap grace allows us to do anything we want as believers. Costly grace somebody that knew what costly grace was who was executed by Adolf Hitler before Hitler took his life. I want to encourage all of us to reevaluate our walk, to reevaluate our lives as Christians and say, you know what, Lord, today I really want to dedicate again I want to rededicate my life. Because the way is hard. It's not always fun. It's fun in one sense of knowing that, hey, when this thing's over, 
Hello, Jesus. And all those that went before us, can you imagine? Think of it this way. Heaven rejoices when one person repents. They throw a party. Let's let them have a continual party in our neighborhood of rejoicing. Although the way is hard, although the way is hard, it ends with a reward. It ends with a reward that leads to life. Agapago, an extension along a route. Here, Zoe is to be alive in the sense of not only now, as Paul's theology already, not yet, alive now to be really alive, but also in the sense of eschatological in the next life, eternal. So the narrow road is hard and difficult and fraught with danger and all those things, but you know what? The reward is worth it. The reward, the payoff is worth it. The world, by, con by contrast, the world is in darkness and you have basically walking dead people. They're dead to God. They're dead to the things of, of the kingdom of God. And when they pass, they're going to spend eternity separated from God. Again, that should not cause us to go, yes, go. And notice what Jesus says here. And those who find it are many. No. And those who find it are few. And the word find, eurisco. And that word means to learn the whereabouts of something or to discover it. It's like you see the gospel, you hear the gospel, and you trust in Jesus Christ, and all of a sudden you found the path. And at some point in your Christian growth, you're going to look back and you're going to go, Wow, that path is messed up over here. This path is so much better. And we have a family here. By the way, we're all family. If you're a Christian, we're brothers and sisters in Christ. We have a great family to support us in this journey. Sometimes the journey may be 15 years. Sometimes the journey may be 80 But Jesus says the number is very small, minute. I wish I would have written down the website, but I did write down one of the statistics. 44% of Americans have no idea where they will go when they die. 2% from that same survey. It might be Barna. 2% from that same survey said this. They know where they're going. They're going to hell. Wow. You guys and gals know I believe once saved, always saved. But within that phraseology, 
there's a misunderstanding. And sometimes I worry about it as a pastor. Paul argued with it in Romans 6, but sometimes we can make the gospel seem so easy. In one sense, it is. And I'm a human being. I'm, I'm just a messenger for God. But when somebody says to me, oh, I trusted in Christ when I was eight years old. You don't see them in church. You don't see them talking about God. You don't see them just a litany of, of things. You kind of get to the James syndrome. Can that faith really save you? Because, see, the issue here is, once you've trusted in Christ, there is the assumption that the Holy Spirit comes into your heart and he begins to shape you and mold you into the image of Christ so that you become more and more like him, not more and more like the world. I do believe once saved, always saved. And I've been saying this more and more, but you have to have it for it to be true. In other words, just saying a prayer or being baptized doesn't cut it. Did it happen here? And if it happened here, it will show. And Jesus even says you'll, you'll see them by their fruits. So I think the, the mistake sometimes I make and maybe some other pastors make is to say, wait a minute. Uh, yes, it is a, a simple act of faith, but you have to believe and to receive it. Jesus comes into your heart and begins to make changes. I... I, I'm sorry, I'm, I'm at a point in, in, in my life, if somebody says to me that they trusted in Christ when they were 8, 9, 10, maybe 30, but there's no evidence of fruit in their life, I kind of question that. This isn't a get-out-of-jail card free stuff, folks. This is real. If Jesus is in there, there will be change. Now, it may take a while, I get that. Here's the, here's, here's the thing. You're only playing for an audience of one. I'm playing for an audience of one, basically, although I do have responsibilities and stuff like that. But ultimately, my salvation is focused on Christ. Now, let me ask you a question. Do you know Jesus? Do you know Christ? I mean, have you trusted in him? Has, has, has there been a, a, a difference in your life? And, and know this, the road is fraught with danger. It's difficult. There are Christians that are even now losing their jobs because they believe in Jesus. But I'll tell you this, the good news in all of this is that someday you will see the author of your faith face to face. For those watching, if you have not trusted in Jesus Christ, this is what you need to do. Number one, ask for forgiveness of your sin. Just ask Jesus, say, Lord, I'm sorry. I repent of my sin. I ask for forgiveness of that sin. It's important. And then ask Jesus to come into your life to be your Lord and Savior and then to follow him each day. That's salvation.